In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. This evening, I'd like to ask you a question. What are your most glorious memories of Christmas? Or perhaps, what are the glorious memories you look forward to making in the days to come? Maybe it's the faces you see. Maybe it's something you do annually. As you puzzle that, let me share with you one of our families. Growing up, every Christmas break, we would go look at Christmas lights, and we always enjoyed doing that. We went to one particular spot across town, so you had to load up on all of your junk food before you left, and there were plenty of carols a little too loud to listen to along the way. If you're not from the area, uh, a local tip. Go over to Interlochen in Arlington. It's perhaps one of the best neighborhoods lit up with Christmas lights this time of year. They've been going out for Christmas lights for about 40 years. These are some photos from over the years in their neighborhood. Um, they always are vying for uh, the best prize in their neighborhood. Um, and some even go as far as running out old classic Fords to complete the perfect look in their driveway. Apparently, they don't mind the traffic. Uh, we have some friends out that way. I'm glad it's in their neighborhood and not mine, um, but they enjoy it. It's, it's part of the culture of that place. If you do go or if you've been, uh, it's not a well-kept secret. Um, you'll be in a long line of cars that snake around for a good 30 minutes or so as you go throughout um, their community. And, and perhaps my favorite part, what I love the most, is as you reach the end of this row of houses, it opens up on Lake Interlochen, and there all of the houses have the most magnificent displays in their backyards that overlook the lake. And they all glitter and gleam off the lake waters, which are mostly calm most of the year. And you just kind of have this magnificent, almost kind of, you know, uh, finale as you head back out and then drive back home. So what are your favorite moments? What are those that come to mind? Or maybe those that you're looking forward to in the days ahead? The reason I ask is that all of the moments that we could capture, even the most glorious ones we have, will always pale in comparison to the one that we have before us this evening. There is no greater, no more glorious moment than we've ever seen or ever will see in human history than the reason we're gathered here tonight, that of Jesus' entrance into the world. It's a story we know well. It's a story that even those who don't have a background in the Christian faith know quite well. They've seen it depicted in lawns. They've seen it uh, in homes. They've seen it in movies. So this evening, I'd like for us to just walk back through this text once more and just soak in the glory of God revealed therein in Jesus' entrance into the world as we look back at Luke chapter 2 for just a moment together this evening. As you turn to it, if you've got your Bible, you can follow along. You're also welcome to follow along on the screens as we walk through this together briefly and find some lessons along the way. The opening few verses um, of Luke 2 are, are kind of the prologue. They set the scene, uh, the nature of the moment that leads to Jesus' entrance into the world. Sadly, um, more ink has been spilled on those first three verses than could fill libraries about where this registry is to be found, who was the governor in this region, in this place at that time, and, and we kind of lose the point of what is being pointed out by Luke here. Luke tells us right off the bat, if you flip back a chapter in Luke chapter 1, verse 3, 
that uh, his whole account is to provide an orderly account of Jesus' life and ministry. And so that's his point in lining this up. In fact, um, the glory that's revealed in those three verses to line up all the moments that move the Holy Family from their home at the time in Galilee down to the city of David to fulfill all the prophecies we've heard and all the ones we know is pretty miraculous unto itself. I mean, therein, we could just stop and say, that's pretty incredible. But if we add to it the fact that um, they get there at the very moment that Mary is to be delivered um, in the city in which Joseph is of that line, it's pretty incredible to think about, is, is it not? Um, if you've been around anyone who's had kids or if you've had kids yourself, you know you don't really get a lot of control over when children come into the world. So not only does this lead to the moment at which Jesus is in the right place at the right time, but even at the very right moment. And what's miraculous in this itself is not only the moment and the timing of it all, as glorious that is, but we also um, have to take in the fact that he's completely missed in this moment. It's, it's pretty incredible. It foreshadows what God plans to do. Um, we notice and we know, we've seen it depicted in kids over the years. Uh, there is no room in the end, and so we see them go and find this humble place where Jesus enters the world, foreshadowing everything that will come. But what's equally as incredible is what it foretells, that just as there was no room in this small town for God, let's just call it what it is, um, there's no room in any human heart for God either. And that God comes into the world for this very purpose, to work his way back to a humanity and a creation that has so far pushed him out that even as he slips in unaware, um, he comes for our sake and to bring us closer to himself. That in itself is quite glorious if we think about it. But where I'd like for us to spend just a few moments is in this scene where it shifts outside town. We know all the, the history behind, perhaps you've read um, about the shepherds outside of town. They point to the ones uh, to whom God has come, uh, the, the very least of these, uh, those on the fringes, all those things. But what I'd like for us to notice is in verse 9, what's truly incredible is the fact that the angel of the Lord appears to them, and then we get this wonderful <laughs> phrase that the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they're rightly filled with great fear. The only other place, at least in the New Testament, where the glory of the Lord shines around anyone is Paul at his conversion, when we see that in the Acts. And at least up to this point in history, the glory of God is something that humanity has chased after and has never been able to get near to, only from a distance. Think about it. Back when um, God chooses his people, Israel leads them out of the land of Egypt. The glory of God is a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night from a safe distance leads them into the promised land. It's the glory of God that descends upon Mount Sinai where Moses meets with God and speaks to him face to face as with a friend. It's later in the wilderness in the tent of meeting that the glory of God descends to meet with Moses. And when Moses appears, what? His face is radiant. And so he has to cover his face because it scares the people. The prophets looked for the glory of God and only saw it passing by. In the case of Elijah, who hides in the cleft of the rock 
couldn't see the glory of God face to face, only catches the whisper after all the majesty of God passes by. It's that glory of God that surrounds these shepherds who are not anyone of any great substance. We don't even have their names. But it foreshadows the very reason for which he came, which we see the end of which in Revelation, right? Revelation 21, where the glory of God will fill the earth. And we know the reason which Jesus enters the world is to be that light that chases back the darkness. And so it bursts forth. It kind of oozes out um, as Jesus is in this stable. Here the glory of God appears around these shepherds. And as it does, it foretells of what Jesus will do. The glory of God in Jesus Christ, God incarnate, will chase back the darkness. And as he does, with each step and breath he takes among us from that point forward, he heals, he delivers, he restores, he brings order, he brings the light of God out into a creation that he stepped into. It's quite incredible. The reason I belabor this is I think we miss at times this. We miss the glory of God. We miss just the, the plain evidence of it, certainly in the pages of Scripture. And my hope tonight, my prayer has been that we would grasp that just a bit this evening. Or rather, it would grab hold of us, that our hearts would be uh, open just enough to let the glory of God kind of seep in a bit more. The glory of God doesn't just shine around those favored few. He shines around you every time you come and worship. He shines around you every time you enter into his presence and prayer. He's certainly there when you open the pages of Scripture where God incarnate is found, page after page, as we encounter him there. The glory of the Lord is found in the sacraments of the church in all these ways that God moves and works and interacts in creation. And thus, I hope we grasp that just a bit. Because if we do, we notice um, that we don't leave the same. We can't. And while we didn't read this this evening, I want to just pull forward two last things. I mean, how can we not? When the glory of the Lord surrounds these shepherds, what happens? When they go away and this angelic chorus uh, goes back into heaven, which continues to sing ceaselessly in God's presence until the glory of the Lord fills the earth, when the angels go away, these shepherds say to one another, let's go check this thing out, right? And so we read in verse 16, they made haste. They made haste to go and find that. Now, we don't get the details. How many shepherds are there? We don't really know. But we know this, that they probably didn't spend a lot of time figuring out the logistics. They didn't say, you know, okay, Bill, you're going to stay behind. Bob, Rob, and Sam, we're going to go down and check this out. They're not Jewish names, I know, but they're, they're what come top of mind. Um, and and we'll, we'll come back and circle back to you at the third watch. You go, and then we'll all meet up when everyone's got to, you know, let the sheep out in the morning and graze and all that stuff. They, they don't figure that out. Where do the sheep go? Do they stay there? Do they go with them? Nobody knows. I don't think they even planned on it. But they make haste because how can they not? When the glory of the Lord is shown around them, they want to go see the message that's foretold. And so they hasten, and they find everything, at least as we see at the end of our text here, as had been told to them. Now, the reason I, I pull that forward is that when the glory of the Lord grasps hold of us, then the natural next step, when we truly allow that to grab our hearts and minds, is that we hasten. We hasten to be about the things that God taught and commanded. And that, I think, is the greatest disconnect for most of the church. 
If we don't grasp the glory of God, if we don't sit with the glory of God long enough, why would we hasten to be about what Jesus taught and commanded? And thus, that's the prayer. That's the prayer that tonight, that we grab that a bit more. Because when we do, then we hasten to put into practice the very things that he's instructed. The things that aren't easy, but we want to, because we want to be as he is. We want to draw near to him, and we know the ways that we can do that are found before us in the pages of Scripture, time and time again. And then, it's not just about us. The text concludes, as we read um, back in verse 17, when they arrive, after hastening to check it all out, they find everything as they saw it. And they tell Mary, they tell Joseph, they tell whoever's around. And then they go back glorifying and praising God for all they've seen and heard. They tell everybody. They, how can they not? I mean, this is, the most, this is the biggest day of their lives. And not only does the glory of the Lord shine around them, but everything is exactly as they had told. It wasn't like some weird vision they all had together. No, it was exactly as they saw it. And so as they go back, what do they do? Not having just grasped it, not having just hastened to be about it, but then they go and they share this with everybody. They want everyone to hear about what they've seen and told. I mean, they probably tell every ear that will lend them even a moment. They're probably a mile a moment in that minute with those around them. And so I pray the same is true for us. When we spent time uh, grasping the glory of God, when we really bring ourselves into his presence, for he has never moved, we then are transformed. We hasten to be about the things that he's called us to do. And lastly, we have a story to share. I think this is also where we get hung up. We, we think we have to figure out how to tell others, and, and we make it so much more complicated than it should be. If we have a story to tell because we've been in the presence of the Lord um, and something has happened to us or, or some word gives us peace from Scripture or, or we've seen someone healed because we've prayed for them or we've persevered in spite of great adversity, we have a story to tell. And so we can point to those things and bring the glory of God to others. We can take the pages of Scripture and the stories therein and put them in our own words because we've walked with them and they mean what they truly mean, not just to us, but what it is, the truth of God revealed therein. So this night, um, I, I hope, just for a moment, as we spend some time thinking about all the things, um, the glorious moments of past, those ones that we look forward to, um, that we're reminded of this. Because in the days to come, when, when faces uh, go home, when, when lights come down, um, when presents go up, when, when we get back to life as usual, the glory of God never ceases. In fact, it carries down from generation to generation. In fact, it only grows. In fact, it gets so magnificent, as we see in Revelation, that the sun and moon are not even needed because the glory of the Lord fills the face of the earth. That's what we remember this night. That's what we hasten to spend some time in. And that's my prayer that we just grasp that a bit more, that we hasten to be with the Lord, and that as we do so, we have a story to share with a world that needs to see the glory of God revealed, which often comes through you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.